0: I am, Pam. I am. I, I have a little bit of history here with today's topic. Did you know that?
1: Yeah. You know, um, some of the things that we do at the foundation, a lot of people don't know about and prevention is one of them, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: You're educating about screening and preventative measures, right?
0: That's right. You know, they, what is the, the, the old saying, uh, um, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure or, or something like that. You know, yeah. you know, it's really, really, really important to screen.
1: It is. and But sometimes it's so confusing because there's a lot of guidelines out there about different screenings. And so what better way to come to some of the experts to learn more about lung cancer and lung
0: cancer screening? That's exactly right. Especially if you start Googling uh, yeah. recommendations, There's we don't
1: recommend anybody Googling, right? That's
0: right. That's right. You should just listen to our podcast and find out all the information there. Right. Absolutely. So you're you're correct. We have today uh, two guests um, that both do um, extraordinary work uh, at an organization called the American Lung Cancer Screening Initiative. And if that doesn't scream expert in lung cancer screening, I don't know what does. Right, Pam? I know. That's right. So we're gonna really talk about uh, the key pieces about screening. We're gonna talk about uh, a variety of issues, but let me introduce our two guests. Uh, we, have a pro, one of the, we have a program director, Priyanka Synthol, and also uh, the lead outreach coordinator is joining us today, Spencer McCleary. Spencer and Priyanka, how are you guys?
2: We're doing well. Thank you so much, Ryan and Pam, for having us. We're so excited to talk to you about lung cancer and lung cancer screening.
3: Absolutely. Really great. And just really excited to be here. So thank you guys both.
0: Well, you're very welcome. We, um, as Pam said, we like to, not that we want to put pressure on our guests, but we like to bring in people that really um, work in the field of what we're talking about and understand and know. And we, I mean, obviously uh, you two guys are are super involved there with the American Lung Cancer Screening Initiative. Let's talk about what you do for the, uh, the initiative, and then we'll jump into talking about screenings.
2: Sure, definitely. Um, We'd love to introduce our organization. Um, The American Lung Cancer Screening Initiative, um, we call it ALSI for short, is a 501c3 nonprofit that works to raise awareness for lung cancer, lung cancer screening. And we're a team of about 200 students and doctors located across the United States. Um, So far, we've given over 150 presentations on lung cancer, lung cancer screening to universities, hospitals, medical schools, and organizations around the US, as well as India, Canada, Brazil, and Mexico. And um, we've been able to reach over 10,000 people. And over the last year, we've um, we've been able to work with um, 118 mayors from every single US state to issue proclamations, recognizing November as National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Um, And we've also had the opportunity to work with several leaders at the state level um, to raise awareness, including Arizona State Senator, Senator um, Leela Alston, who is a lung cancer survivor, and Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf, uh, And we've also been able to start um, LC chapters at different universities across the U.S. Um, and engage students in um, lung cancer education and advocacy efforts so it's been really wonderful to see young young students and individuals excited about learning about lung cancer um, and raising awareness among their uh, their communities. And we've also um, worked with the U.S. Congress members and senators to draft and advocate for the first ever House and Senate resolutions recognizing the importance of early detection of lung cancer through screening. Um, and one of um, a very memorable moment was that in December twenty twenty, um, the Senate resolution was passed with unanimous consent. Which marked the first time the US Senate has ever recognized the importance of screening. So, um, that's just to say, kind of all the efforts um, and projects that we're working on within the American Lung Cancer Screening Initiative are focused on um, educating people about lung cancer screening, since we found that not a lot of people um, know as much about lung cancer as they might do about other cancers, and especially. the the details about who should be getting screened for lung cancer, um, when they should get screened, why. And so we we hope to educate people on on these topics.
0: Do do you find um, with a lot of what you're doing on the uh, collegiate level or young adult level, um, you know, obviously we're gonna talk about um, the screenings and the age recommendations. Of course, um, they're they're not in that screening recommendation age range, but do you find that there's, Like a lot of cessation that goes on, or uh, ways to quit and how to quit and stay quit?
2: Absolutely. Um, We've loved being able to present to um, like middle schools and high schools because um, at the end of our presentation, we oftentimes open up for a QA session and we always get so many questions from from students just. you know, I um, mean, even though they don't meet the lung cancer screening um, guidelines, which we'll talk about, um, that's the guidelines are focused more for individuals age 50 to 80. So the younger individuals don't fit into that category, but um, they're still very interested in learning about lung cancer, and oftentimes they'll ask about you know vaping, which is um, unfortunately increasing in in younger individuals, and so that's often a question they have. You know, how does vaping and lung cancer relate, um, as well as like e-cigarette e- use um, and, and things like that, and and what the benefits of smoking cessation are, and and we oftentimes touch upon smoking cessation programs in that area, and so a, a lot of a lot of students are interested in um, in how these to- these topics between lung cancer and, and vaping um, and e cigarette use and smoking cessation kind of relate. So um, a, a lot of times that's where our, our discussion kind of focuses when reaching out to these um, younger individuals, and and the reason we do. Um, we, we want to educate students is because even though they might not be eligible for screening themselves, they might have family members or friends um, who might um, have a high risk for smoking um, and therefore lung cancer, or they might have uh, uh, environmental exposure to like radon or asbestos that might increase the risk for lung cancer. And so by educating them about the risk factors and symptoms of lung cancer, um, if they have or know of anyone who meets lung cancer screening guidelines, then maybe they can start that conversation with them. And and educate those around them. So that's kind of why we um, we want to involve students, and then also just um, re- removing the stigma that currently exists around lung cancer with smoking um, and lung cancer. I think we're able to educate students at a young age about how not only um, that the lung cancer can affect everyone, not just individuals who smoke, but by really anyone who has lungs. So so everyone. Um, I think these are all important ways for us to educate, as well as um, Uh, remove the stigma that exists right now.
1: So let's start with educating our listeners and what are screening recommendations for lung cancer?
2: So the current lung cancer screening recommendations are um, that any individuals who are between the ages of 50 and 80 years, who have a 20 pack year smoking history or more, and those who are current or former smokers who quit within the past 15 years get annual low-dose CT scans.
0: Yeah, you know, Pam, I mentioned, I have some history with this, Uh, not necessarily with this program, but in a former life, working at one of the cancer treatment centers here in town uh, was when the the first guidelines came out. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, that's been a while ago, but if I'm not mistaken, originally it was 55, was the beginning year and wasn't it a 30 year pack history I believe. And so I was encouraged when we started doing some research on this that um they've lowered the age a little bit and lowered the pack year history because it, that seemed like a 30 pack and we'll talk let's talk about a pack year history in just a second but it seemed like that 30 pack year history really I mean that's a lot. Uh 20 is a lot but um 30 made was, was seemed unreasonable. But let's let's Explain if you guys can, maybe. Um, uh, Spencer, let us tell us what a pack year history is for our listeners.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, pack year history is sort of a way of quantifying uh, somebody's smoking history. And so, to calculate that, you'd um, multiply the number of packs smoked per day times the number of years smoked. So, let's say if you were to just have smoked one pack a day for 20 years, uh, you'd have a 20 pack year smoking history.
0: So, and there's how many cigarettes are in one pack. Is there 20 I believe is that right?
2: Yes, about I'd about 20 cigarettes in
0: one pack. Okay. So, you've said 20 one pack a day for 20 years, that's your pack year history. So that explains that for you guys that are are like I've never heard about a pack year history. I don't know what that even means. So, we want to make sure we clear that up. So, 50 to 80 uh with a 20 pack year history and they currently smoke or they've quit within the past 15 years. And now you were saying that um, you know, talking about lungs and, and that it it's not only smokers. However, lung cancer is predominantly caused from from smoking, correct?
2: Correct, um, smoking is the number one cause of lung cancer. Um, so in individuals who have a heavy pack year smoking history are at high risk for lung cancer. That's why the current um, United States Preventive Services Task Force guidelines focus on individuals with a heavy pack year smoking history. But um, as, as recent research is showing, there are other risk factors for lung cancer, um, such as exposure to radon and exposure to asbestos, a family history of lung cancer. Um, COPD, and a variety of other causes that can increase one's risk for lung cancer. And I think the reason why um, these other risk factors are not included in the current um, USPSTF screening guidelines are because they're harder to quantify. It's easy to quantify a pack your smoking history um, versus trying to quantify someone's exposure to radon or asbestos that's gonna be more difficult. So um, that's probably the reasons why they're not included um, in the USPSTF screening guidelines. Sure. So for
1: those that meet the criteria that you have just set, what do they need to do?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So for individuals who are interested in in getting screened for lung cancer um, and meet the lung cancer screening guidelines, the first step would be to talk to the primary care physician about about lung cancer screening. Uh, There's a a conversation um, that often needs to happen between um, a primary care physician and, and the patient about the risks and benefits of lung cancer screening. And that's, it's very important to have, I think. So I'm um, talking with um, their PCPs about the risk benefit of, of screening um, will be the first step. And then from there, um, if their primary care physicians thinks it's a good idea, then um, they can work. There Oftentimes there are patient navigators or um, assistants who, are, who help them Uh, actually actually schedule a lung cancer um, screening exam. And so that would be the next step is um, scheduling an exam and then going to take it. And in terms of like where can individuals uh, schedule a lung cancer screening exam, if they go to the American College of Radiology website and type in their location, they can find accredited lung cancer screening centers near them. And um, oftentimes there, there are several in, in each state. And so um they can either like talk to their patient navigator if they have one or or try to find an accredited lung cancer screening center through this website. Um, and, and so that's how they would schedule it. And then they would go in to take the exam and it's actually very, very simple and, and quick. It's only about five minutes. The actual exam only takes about five minutes. Um, but with with other other wait times paperwork it, it might be a little bit longer. But the the actual um, you know, being as uh, sitting, lying inside the CT scanner is only about five minutes. And then once they take this, the exam, it will probably be a couple of days or, or weeks before they get their results. The results will probably be sent to their primary care physician who will um, look over the results and then probably schedule a, a, an in-person visit or a phone call to share the results. And um, and at that point, there are oftentimes um, a couple of different outcomes. The scans might be benign. Um, and or, or look normal and if that's the case then often, oftentimes it's just follow-up imaging if if the primary care physician thinks that that would be beneficial um, and if it's suspicious or abnormal um, if they have' if they see anything that's maybe um questionable like on the on the scan then they might have to do follow-up imaging which might be like a biopsy or further further testing to to confirm
0: are these tests are they are they covered on insurance or Medicare
2: yeah that's a great question so um for individuals who meet um, the Medicare guidelines, which are individuals aged 55 to to 77, um, and who have the the pack-year smoking history that we just talked about, um, lung cancer screening should be should be covered for them. Um, however, there are some some exceptions in in terms of um, coverage for individuals on Medicaid. Recently, um, there is a map on the American Lung Association's website that shows which states have um, have uh, in state coverage for um, for individuals on Medicaid, and right now the only state that does not um, have uh, Medicaid coverage is Tennessee. And for Hawaii, this information is currently um, not known. And other states um, do cover lung cancer screening, um, but they might. Some states are following the 2013 USPSTF guidelines, and some states are following the 2021 USPSTF guidelines. So, um, if any if individuals are um, or, or in, in, in these other states and want to know, um, you know, what is covered, they can, they should just talk to their um, uh, insurance company to see what is covered. And for, and for those with private insurance, most of most private insur- insurers do cover lung cancer screening, but as always there, there, there might be some exceptions. So talking with um, with uh, their insurance company would be the best way to, to know.
0: Yeah. I would encourage anyone listening if you, no matter what insurance coverage you have, Medicaid, Medicare, or private insurance, if it's covered, you don't have a reason to not go get one of these done. If you fall into that, you know, fifty to eighty with a twenty-year pack history of smoking, there is no reason. Uh, I'm, I, and you may say, well, but but Ryan, but 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 no, right, Pam? Right. <laughs> <This needs laughs> they just need to, to do, do it this needs to be done. So how often are they screened? I know you said if there's something that's found, you know, let's say I go get a, a, a screening and I'm, I'm uh, everything's good. Is it an annual screening? Is it every two years? What does that look like?
3: Yeah, so currently under the United States Preventative Services Task Force, um, their guidelines, they recommend that uh, an annual screen is sort of the optimal um, screening frequency, and that's been debated and researched a little bit over the years. But currently, annual screening is is sort of the recommendation. So what? If,
0: happened? Okay. I'm sorry, I was I was going to tag on that, Spencer. And, and I guess you, you said um, in the guidelines, we talked about that it is um, those who have not smoked, they stop screening after 15 years. Is that right?
3: That's correct. Yep.
0: So if they've, if they've quit and they've they've quit for 15 or more years, no screening is necessary. Now, is that because there's they're at zero risk or they're at such a low risk? What's the meaning for that?
3: So I think the idea is that they're at a lower risk at that point, uh, 15 years post cessation. Uh, but we would definitely recommend that anybody uh, who's quit um, more than 15 years ago and is still interested in getting lung cancer screening, definitely would go. Uh, we'd recommend that they go talk to the primary care provider about that and sort of work out a possible option. Good deal. Good deal. So,
1: with the screening, is it a regular um CAT scan versus or is it a low dose CAT scan?
3: Um, so for screening uh for lung cancer, it's typically a low dose CT. Uh, and that differs from a, a typical CT in that the amount of radiation emitted is much lower. It's about five times lower. Um, the unit of measurement on that ionizing radiation is the um millisievert, and it's 1.4 millisieverts compared to seven, um, which is relative, both are relatively low. Um and so in some cases, regular CTs, they will gonna require the patient to ingest a dye called contrast material beforehand. And so for a low dose CT, you don't have to worry about that. Um, those are the major differences between the two. And
0: the time. <laughs> you, you know, I think you guys are saying it's you know five minutes or so. I mean, it's that's, that's quick, easy, painless, no dye. If you, I mean, I know some of our our listeners, uh, cancer survivors, have had probably more CT scans than they want to re- recall uh, mm-hmm. with with the contrast and and all of that. This is not that. Um, this is simply laying on a table for about five minutes, um, and, and, and it's quick and painless. Um, you were talking about uh, whether something's benign or may need to come back and look. I know that one of the one of the things that um, was kind of a barrier to us getting it going when when I said we started looking at this in a previous life was um, the sheer number of people who have lung nodules that are benign, um, and so I know that that's one of those um, issues that sometimes I think the 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 concern was that a benign nodule yes, needs to potentially be followed, but could stir up a hornet's nest of um, concern that necessarily wasn't warranted? Is is that still the case?
2: That's a great question. Um, I think as with any diagnostic test, um, a lot of individuals are concerned about the false positive rate of CT screening, but the CT screening actually has a very low false positive rate, and it's very good at identifying individuals who do not have lung cancer. So those who do not have lung cancer, um, oftentimes uh, it, it'll show that they don't have lung cancer. But for those who might have um, a suspicious scan um, or one that needs further follow-up testing, uh, it might require biopsy and additional, additional um, tests to rule out lung cancer. But the, the main benefit of lung cancer screening is that it helps to diagnose lung cancer early. And and so right now, the majority of lung cancers are diagnosed at a distant stage after the tumor has grown and spread beyond um, the place in the lung where it originated. And that just makes um, treatment much harder because oftentimes when the cancer has grown and spread, surgery is no longer an option since it's not localized to a specific area. But um, for individuals who... Um, un- Undergo a, a low-dose CT scan and are then diagnosed with um, lung cancer, they're oftentimes caught at earlier stages. Um, and that improves treatment options and prognosis because if we're able to find it at stage one um, or the earlier stages of lung cancer, then it oftentimes it's localized and surgery is an option. And um, a, you know, a surgeon can go in and resect the tumor. And that's the, the surest way for us to remove most of the tumor. Um, and so that that's the ma- major benefit um, of lung cancer screening. And there are lots of national studies, um, such as the NLSC, um, the National Lung Screening Trial, as well as the NELSON trial, both um, that have shown that um, l- low-dose CT scans increase the number of lung cancers that are diagnosed at earlier stages and can reduce mortality um, of lung cancer by up to 33%. So um, that is why um, we believe that um, since... L- CT screening has a, such a low, pos, um, low false positive rate that it, it's beneficial for individuals who meet the lung cancer screening guidelines. I know there's a question earlier about um, do individuals uh, outside of that, um, who have quit smoking for more than 15 years not get lung cancer screening? And as, as Spencer touched upon, I think the main reasons are because at that point, the the risks may not outweigh the benefits as much as um, for individuals who um, do, are, are within those lung cancer screening guidelines
1: so let's talk about lung cancer um vaping cigarettes versus cigars is there a difference
3: um so i can definitely speak to the cigars uh component of it i think right now there's sort of this uh notion generally that cigars may be a more sophisticated and healthy alternative healthier alternative cigarettes uh -hmm. it's important to recognize that that's really not the case um uh, you know cigars contain many of the same addictive and toxic chemicals that cigarettes do uh, which does put users at an increased risk of developing lung cancer uh, while cigars are more likely to cause oral cancer and cigarettes are more likely to cause lung cancer uh, well this is partially due to sort of the nature of the way that each of these uh, items are both smoked and what they contain um you know they're both both pretty detrimental to to health uh, in addition to lung and oral cancer cigars can cause heart disease gum disease tooth loss uh, and several other uh, long non-lung cancer diseases of the uh, sorry non-cancer diseases of the lung uh, And so while they have sort of gained this reputation as being this like sophisticated kind of healthy alternative to cigarettes uh, it's definitely important to note that this isn't necessarily accurate and anytime uh, you know cigarette smoking, vaping uh, of a cigar anything like that uh definitely really important to be aware of and consider the long-term health detriments.
0: Well, and I would also throw out there too, Pam, you know, we talk about, um, at our foundation, uh, tobacco-free Amarillo. And, um, we did a podcast, gosh, early on last year, um, with Shanna talking about smoking cessation and talking about the risks. Um, and, and vaping has really, really taken off. Um, you know, we have, I I know I've heard, Pam, I'm sure you have too, that uh, I'm using vaping to quit smoking. And, you know, it's, it's like my, my granddad, I tell him all the time when my granddad um, quit smoking by using chewing tobacco. It's the same thing. (laughs) It's just another way of doing it. But let's talk about, about vaping. If you guys can. Um, I know that, that, um, Uh, it's still in its early stages, you know, even though it's been around for a while, but it's still in its early stages of of scientific learning, um, the detriment and the problems that it causes. But can you guys speak to um, vaping?
2: Absolutely. As you mentioned, Ryan, um, vaping and e-cigarettes are relatively new phenomena and have become more prevalent in the last decade, especially among younger individuals. And since they are relatively new, the long-term effects of vaping and e-cigarettes are still being studied. Um, but it is clear that for individuals who have never smoked before, um, they can increase their risk of lung cancer. And the reason for this is because um, e-cigarette devices and vaping fluids contain nicotine derivatives and heavy metals, among other chemicals. Um, and various studies have demonstrated in vitro transforming and cytotoxic activity of these um, derivatives. And and while vaping might cause fewer health risks than smoking, it is definitely not a risk-free activity. as um, uh, which is a common misconception, vaping can increase heart rate, um, decrease air volume in the lungs, and increase airway resistance. Um, and because both um, e-cigarette device use and vaping is increasing um, significantly among younger ad- adults and non-smokers, it's definitely a, a very significant, um, it's an area of significant concern for the future.
1: What about secondhand smoking?
3: Yeah, secondhand smoke exposure uh, can be a both a cause and risk factor for for many health problems, of which lung cancer is just one. Um, secondhand smoke has the potential to cause lung cancer in adults who have never smoked, and is actually the leading risk factor uh, among this sort of never smoker population, um, as they are sort of involuntarily ingesting many of the same cancer causing substances as smokers do. Uh, non-smokers who exposed to secondhand smoke increase the risk of developing lung cancer by twenty to thirty uh, percent compared to those not exposed. Uh, just like with regular smoking, the risk of developing lung cancer increases uh, as exposure time and intensity increases uh, for secondhand smoke, uh, which is awful, because in many cases, this isn't something the person has control over. Uh, but unfortunately, the dangers of secondhand smoke uh, are very real nonetheless. You yes. know, it
0: seems to boggle your mind, right? Sometimes when you hear someone say, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so has lung cancer. And like the first thing that you go to is your mind, right, is did they smoke? Or I didn't know they smoked. Well, no, they didn't smoke, you know. I mean, and, and of course, in today's day, as you said, radon exposure or um exposure to asbestos and things like that. Um, so it's not just a smoker's disease. Is there any other causes uh potentially for the non-smoker that might develop lung cancer? Absolutely. So um in in non non-smo- in
2: non-smokers, um, the of, of genetic risk of lung cancer could also um, contribute. So um, there have been mutations such as the EGFR mutation, ALK mutation, ROS1 mutation that have been identified to increase risk of lung cancer. And so if there's a familial history of lung cancer, they could be at higher risk due to genetic reasons. And then as we touched upon um, exposure to radon, asbestos, a prior diagnosis of COPD, um, these are all additional risk factors. And actually um, lung cancer in never smokers is composes a pretty large percentage of, of lung cancer cases. Um, actually about 10 to 20% of individuals diagnosed with lung cancer are never smokers. So a lot of individuals are surprised to hear the statistic because there's been such a strong um, a- association between lung cancer and smoking that it um, a lot of individuals um, are surprised to hear that upwards of one fifth of individuals diagnosed with lung cancer are, are those who have never smoked and, and never smokers, um, uh, we define individuals um, as never smokers if they've smoked um, less than 100 cigarettes in their lifetime.
0: I did never guess that the percentage was that high. How about you, Pam?
2: No,
1: that's a lot. But we're hearing more and more. Um, I know it seems more common now than ever for people to come in here and say, "Well, I have lung cancer, but I've never smoked."
0: Smoked. And we're
1: quick to judge, thinking. Oh, you're yeah. a smoker.
0: Yeah. And it's
1: not always it, the case.
0: It just goes to show, right, that cancer doesn't discriminate. And it's just sometimes uh, it's, it's terrible to have that. Yes. Wow.
1: Is there anything else that we need to know about lung cancer or lung cancer screening?
2: I think just one thing that um, I would like to um, talk about is just the lung cancer screening rate. Uh, uh, Right now, the lung cancer screening rate um, is much lower than the screening rates for breast, cervical, and colon cancer, which also have screening guidelines recommended by the USPSTF. And right now, the screening guidelines for breast, cervical, and colon cancer average about 73%, whereas the screening rate for lung cancer is 5.7% nationally. And And this 5.7% is of individuals at high risk for lung cancer. So not just the general public, but individuals with that heavy smoking history that we talked about um, and that who are within that age range. So of those individuals that are at high risk that should be getting annual low-dose CT scans, only 5.7% of those individuals are currently getting screened. And yeah. Do you think it's
1: a lack of education or knowing about the screening?
2: I think it's it's a combination of a, probably a variety of different factors. And one is definitely a lack of awareness and education about the screening guidelines. Um, a lot of people don't know um the specifics of the screening guidelines, like that you have to be between the ages of 15 and 80, need to have a 20-pack year smoking history, and, and need to be a current or former smoker who quit within the past 15 years. Those are a lot of specifics and numbers that people usually don't know um, unless they they've been um they've been educated about them. And so I think that's what, that's what probably one of the main reasons. Um, another reason is that studies have shown that not all healthcare providers are aware of the lung cancer screening guidelines, especially the updated screening guidelines. So, as we talked about in 2013, there were slightly different guidelines with um, uh, with a upper eight, with an increased, uh, a more restrictive age criteria, as well as a um, a requirement for a heavier smoking history, and that's. The smoking history has been lowered. Smoking requirement has been lowered, as well as the age um, age bound has been increased to 50 to 80 year olds. And so, this actually increased um, lung cancer screening eligibility um, by by it doubled its lung cancer screening eligibility among minority um, individuals as well as women. And so, uh, a lot of healthcare providers are not aware of these new screening guidelines. And since um, you know, patients really do trust their doctors. And so that's why we think it's so important that we educate um, primary care physicians and any healthcare provider about the lung cancer screening guidelines um, because that's oftentimes their, um, their, their main source of contact with the medical system. So if we're able to educate doctors about the screening guidelines, they'll be able to identify those who need to get screened.
0: One of the things too, we always talk about on our podcast, you guys, is patients being their best advocate. And in this case, you guys listening If you fall into this category and your physician has not asked or addressed this with you, it is okay, right, Pam, to bring this up to your doctor.
1: Yes. You know, there's only one of you. And so you have to take care of yourself. So make sure that you talk to your doctor if you have a history of smoking or are currently a smoker. And It's a very simple test to do. Most insurance cover it. And there's no reason not to. But I think this is a great homework for our listeners. Um, If you know someone that smoked or is currently smoking and they fit these guidelines, educate them.
0: Yes, absolutely. Educate them about this. Also, I would point you again to um, tobacco-free Amarillo if you are in the Amarillo area. Uh, Just so you know, you may qualify for Uh, a certain amount of time for free quit aids. uh, And that looks like lozenges, um, gum or patches, um, a free um, uh, amount of that to help you get going. And also, you know, um, the cessation classes and all of that is entirely free. It's done by the Harrington Cancer and Health Foundation, the foundation that we work for. Um, I would encourage you to point someone in that direction or yourself, um, get started on that. But also, as we said, bring this up with your physician. And um, Pam, you were very right. There's only one of you and you have to take care of yourself. And if you don't take care of yourself, um, it's hard to rely on somebody else.
1: That's right. Thank you both for um, enlightening our listeners and educating us about uh, the screening and the risk of uh, smoking. This leads us to our last uh, segment. It is Pete's powerful moment. We are sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia. Do y'all have a powerful moment that you could share with us?
2: Definitely, I can start us off. Um, I know Spencer. Spencer has um, uh, has a moment of his own. But Elsie recently started a podcast series where we talk with lung cancer survivors and advocates, as well as caregivers, thoracic surgeons, and oncologists who wanna share their stories and experiences around lung cancer. And when we started, we weren't really sure what the response would be like, but we received an overwhelming response from individuals, both patients and doctors who want to share their journey and knowledge with others. And seeing so many people um, willing to share stories that are very personal with the public, um, talking about things like their diagnosis, surgeries, and roadblocks, um, as well as successes um, throughout the throughout their treatment, has been very inspiring and moving. And it's just shown us that there exists a large community of supporters and advocates for individuals affected by lung cancer. And we believe that there is a lot of hope and opportunities to raise awareness about lung cancer, lung cancer screening, and improve survival for patients diagnosed um, with lung cancer. So it's just been very inspirational to hear everyone's stories.
1: What podcast is that?
2: Um, it's just the LC podcast. And, um, you can find us on our, on Spotify, Google, and Apple podcasts, as well as, um, on our website. If you go to www.lc.org, that's, that's A-L-C-S-I.org. Um, you can, uh, find our podcast page and, and recordings there as well.
1: That's so awesome. Spencer, do you have one to share with us?
3: Absolutely. Well, I think like Draga said, uh, I feel like we have a moment almost every, every episode of the podcast, uh, just so many inspiring people with sort of against the odds, just, just, you know, keeping strong and, and so much faith, which is, which is really just kind of amazing to listen to, but I did have a personal moment of my own, um, this past spring, we've been doing a lot of canvassing events on the Boston area. I would just sort of go out in the community, have conversations with people about kind of gauge, you know, how much people know about lung cancer screening and lung cancer. Uh, and then for those who don't, you know, kind of direct them toward the resources that they or their loved ones may need. Um, I remember we caught a, a young, a young guy right outside of Starbucks, who was coming off of a shift and, you know, was on his way home, definitely want to be home soon. Uh, but He was willing to know, I said, you know, you have going to talk about lung cancer screening. And he was nice. He stopped. He said, for sure, you know, tell me what's going on. And so we had a conversation about sort of, um, you know, how deadly lung cancer is and how screening can really, you know, improve survival outlooks and all that. And he sort of, he looked at those the USPSCF guidelines because we had those on our some of our materials that we were handing out. And his face kind of lit up um and he said, you know, my dad's been smoking since he was 14 years old. Uh, he lived with his dad in Boston. He said, um, you know, I'm gonna go take him to get screened this weekend or tonight, you know, as soon as possible. And I think the, the canvassing events are definitely pretty difficult because uh you go out and you know not everybody's willing to to have that conversation. You know, people are busy on the own, which is totally makes sense. But uh interactions like that like definitely just make it so worth it. Uh and I feel like um it's really reflective of everything we're working toward.
0: Yeah, I Pam, I, it, one of the things that struck me as we were talking about this is um, Priyanka said about how much more people get screened for colon cancer and prostate cancer and breast cancer. And I think especially with breast, um, the physicians and, and the, the folks have done a great job of just making, you know, in October is like everything's pink and Mm -hmm. you can't turn on the TV or go somewhere without seeing something about breast cancer awareness. And man, wouldn't it be nice if there was something like in November was the exact same way. All you saw was lung cancer awareness.
1: Yes. It would make a huge difference.
0: It would and
1: lives could be saved because of early screening.
0: Early screening, early detection. There's countless, countless studies that show the benefit, obviously, of early detection. And um just as, as you guys said, uh, super important. So uh with that being said, right, we've got we've already dished out our homework, is check out their website. It is uh, www.alcsi.org, alcsi.org. Uh, there's all that information on there. Um, you know, if you fall into this category, your homework is to get a lung cancer screening done. Uh, if you know someone that falls into this category, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a spouse, an uncle, whatever it may be. And they fall into the categories, make sure you educate them. That's, that is your homework because, um, you know, we want lung cancer screening to be as important and big and prevalent as prostate screenings, colon screenings, and breast screenings.
1: Most definitely.
0: Yes. Thank you guys for joining us uh, on the podcast and educating our listeners. I know I learned a lot. Um, We really appreciate you guys taking time out of your schedule to join us today um, to share with our listeners.
2: Thank you so much, Ryan and Pam for having us. It was an awesome opportunity to just talk about lung cancer and be able to reach your audience. So we're, we're just so grateful. It was a pleasure talking with you.
3: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. It's been just awesome being here and we think your podcast is just phenomenal. So thank you guys for letting us be a part of it.
0: Well, thank you. It's, it's fun. We have a good time with it. We, we love visiting with, with folks that come on and and can share, uh, Stuff that basically, you know, in cases like this, is probably not as educated about. I know our listeners, I hope, I learned a lot. I hope our listeners learned a lot. And uh, that's the most important thing is is to get that word out there. So thank you guys for joining us. And uh, thank you guys for listening and following along today. And make sure you join us next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.